Shana Tova. Each year, uh, at some point over the High Holy Days, uh, I'd like to uh, spend at least one uh, sermon section dealing with some aspect of uh, Israel and uh, our relationship and connection to uh, the land of Israel. This morning, I've asked uh, a couple of people who were recently in Israel, who traveled to Israel uh, over the summer, to uh, share a little bit about their experiences. I'm going to call them up in just a moment, but I felt it was important to at least uh, recognize and commemorate uh, Shimon Peres, who uh, died this past week. Charles Carroll. Charles Carroll, probably not a name that anyone here recognizes. Charles Carroll, though, was the first U.S. Senator in Maryland. He died in 1832. I bring him up as this morning because he was the last of the signatures of the Declaration of Independence to die, the last of the founding fathers of the United States of America to die. And thinking about last week, when we witnessed the death of Shimon Peres, who was the last of the founding fathers of Israel, I wondered what it must have been like back in the 1830s as Charles Carroll died. That moment in history when the people who were living realized that the people who were there who established what would become the United States of America are no longer with us. That had to be a profound moment, as it was a profound moment in Israel last week. In Israel, especially as a political figure, you either loved or hated Shimon Peres. By the time he became uh, president, and uh, his last few years in politics, and the last few years of his life, he was much beloved, I think, by the country. He served in just about every government capacity over his 50 years in the Knesset, including as Prime Minister and President of Israel. He even shared in winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, he was a somewhat controversial figure, somewhat contradictory figure, he was credited with uh, bringing Israel its uh, supposed nuclear weapons and uh, also encouraging settlements in the West Bank. But he also, especially in his last years, was an incredible champion for peace. His death at 93 brings an end to an era just as Senator Carroll's death brought an end to an era in 1832. It's now up to us, the next generation, it's now up to the next generation in Israel to carry on Perez's legacy. Hopefully, we pray and we hope that it will be his legacy of peace. At this time, I want to call upon Andrew Spivak, who is our uh, director of outreach, who happened to uh, lead one of the birthright trips uh, this past year for uh, the local community, who's going to share a little bit about his experience.
Uh, thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Cantor. Uh, thank you, everyone who has uh, been participating in the service. It's, it's beautiful. Um, if you were following along uh, on the Midbar Kodesh Temple blog this summer in June, you might have seen a period, uh, a series of posts about my time staffing a Nevada delegation on a birthright Israel trip. Forty young adults, many of them from southern Nevada, spent ten days traveling the country by bus, and it was my third time staffing the trip for the Jewish Federation, and each time it has been a great honor, and I am very fortunate, um, and I feel very thankful to the Jewish Federation of Las Vegas for choosing me again. Uh, the participants on the trip, uh, they ask so many questions, it's really inspiring. I want to share with you um, a few of those. Where's the bathroom? What's the password for the Wi-Fi? When do we eat? Each time I've come home thinking I cannot do this again, I cannot listen to all these questions again, but maybe, Todd, if you ask me to staff one more time, I'll consider it. Each time I get the opportunity to staff one of these birthright trips, I get to see that magical place for the first time through 80 new eyes. When they see Independence Hall in Tel Aviv, when they see the wall in Jerusalem, when they see camels in the Negev for the first time, so do I. I'm fortunate to work for an organization like Midbar Kodesh that values this work enough to let me leave the country for two weeks, no questions asked, and I'm lucky that I got to staff the trip with Sarah Steinberg, who's one of my best friends and uh, a talented educator in the community. If you know young adults who are eligible for their own Birthright Israel trip, please let us know. Over half a million participants have gone on a Birthright Israel trip, uh, representing all 50 states and 60 other countries around the world since the program's inception 16 years ago, but it can only grow if we tell everyone we know. Uh, before we left on the trip, Rabbi shared something with me. He said it's, it's not coincidence that the Hebrew calendar is based on the cycle of the moon. The Talmud tells us that the phases of the moon represent the Jewish people. When the moon is full, that is the Jewish people. In our land, we are whole. When the moon wanes and waxes, this is the diaspora. I shared that with our participants the first night that we were in Jerusalem. No coincidence. It was a full moon. In Netanya, we, um, we stayed at the Park Hotel. And unfortunately, some of you might remember the name of this place. On March 27, 2002, a Hamas suicide bomber from the West Bank entered the Park Hotel, went up the stairs, to the second floor and murdered 30 Jewish Israelis at a Seder celebrating the first night of Passover. It was a surreal feeling. 
in that very room where that terrible tragedy took place 14 years ago, we sat for a seminar on the history of the Israeli-Arab conflict. I told our group that this was the proof that we have worked very hard as a people for our right to self-determination, to live and love and learn and pray as we please, and we have won. And we continue to struggle to protect that right, but here we are, a free people in a free land. The following day when we traveled to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum, I reminded our group that there are millions of people in the world today who are still fighting for that right, for themselves and their families. In Russia, in China, in North Korea, in the Philippines, in Cambodia, in Pakistan, in Iraq, in Ukraine, in Libya, in Syria, Turkey, Iran, the Congo, the West Bank and Gaza, Israel, Egypt, Guatemala, Colombia, Mexico, Flint, Michigan, Orlando, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, and everywhere that there are people who are fighting for these rights. Every time we say never again, we must think of them. We have the responsibility so that someday those two words, never again, are true. There are uh, some things that synagogues can learn from birthright Israel. Jewish identity for the past few hundred years or so has been pretty stagnant. There's Jewish and not Jewish. But we've seen an explosion in Jewish and. Most recently, the, the birthright trip that I staffed, for example, we had participants who were Jewish. And we had Jewish and Asian. Jewish and I celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Jewish and gay, Jewish and black, Jewish and my husband or wife is not. Birthright Israel works because there are no preconceived notions about what an individual's Jewish identity should be. The physical trip for the participants is to Israel, but the spiritual or secular journey is unique for each. This is an idea that I am excited to see drive activity at Midbar Kodesh. Small groups led by volunteers reaching people on their own terms. Now, some of these have been around for years, many you've seen this year, and more will roll out over the next year. Club Kehillah, Family Circle, Hazak, Men's Club, multiple programs for teenagers, an empty nesters group, young leadership for 20s and 30s, singles and couples, USY alumni, family fun days for families with newborns, and more options for group Bible study than ever before. You can be part of it. Join a group, lead a group. If you have an idea for a group, let us know. There's something really cool happening in Israel right now. There's a, a craft beer scene is merging. Yeah, I, I like this. And there's a little bar right outside the market in Tel Aviv. And I, I mean little, maybe eight, maybe 10 stools. 
They serve pilsners, ales, IPAs, sours, Belgian triples, dark beers, light beers, ciders, over a hundred different varieties of craft beers, all brewed in the state of Israel. After the participants went back to America at the end of the trip, Sarah and I committed to trying each one. We didn't, we didn't get very far. There's no AC and the restrooms are usually out of order. They do very little advertising and even if they did, wouldn't matter much. The signage isn't very good and it's down a side street that's nearly impossible to find if you aren't looking specifically for it. For it. And the line is almost always out the door. On a Saturday night after Shabbat had ended, the bar and the street were packed with people trying to get a delicious Israeli beer. There was, there was barely a spot to stand anywhere. And to be clear, this was not the only bar in the neighborhood serving these beers. So why was this bar so packed when all the others were empty? Because their bartenders spoke about that beer like it was the only thing that mattered. Imagine what could happen here if we, members of Midbar Kodesh, talked to our friends and family and colleagues just like that. Marketing isn't a website or an ad in the newspaper. Don't tell the publisher of the Israelite I said that. Marketing is how you feel, and that you can share. One more story. In the marketplace in Jerusalem, you can find fruits and nuts and tahini and ice cream and spices and hummus and all these crazy flavors. Uh, it's alive with activity before sundown. Bargain hunting and yelling, negotiation. And then at night, something magical happens. Some stores close, but new stores open up. The music gets turned up, the drinks flow freely. It was a party like I had never seen before. So on one Thursday night, we let the participants loose in the marketplace. Our, uh, our tour guide, Illinois, and I, we snuck away from the group. I'll admit it now, even though the staff on these trips isn't allowed to drink during the 10 days, I might have snuck a beer or two. We were walking through uh, a square in the market as the shops were closing, and um, this wasn't a particularly happening area at night, and uh, all of the customers who had been stocking up for Shabbos had already headed home. Uh, there was a young Arab man who was working at one of, the, uh, one of the storefronts and as he was packing up his uh, fruits and vegetables for the night, he, um, he picked up his water bottle and he threw it at me. And um, since I didn't intend on starting an international incident, I was ready to ignore it, and I, I kept walking. Illinois, understandably upset, yelled at me to throw it back at him. So I did. Hit him square in the chest before he could even react. 
he began yelling, and I, I, I couldn't really understand what he was saying. It was sort of half Hebrew, half Arabic. Illinois began to laugh. Football, she said. He wants to play football with the American. The three of us stayed in that square half an hour, maybe longer, playing a game of soccer with that water bottle. Um, as we headed to the airport at the end of our stay, I asked Illinois the same question that I've asked every Israeli I could every time I've been there. I said, is peace even possible? She put her head down, I could tell she was really thinking about it. She looked up at me, she said, I don't know. But in my entire life, I don't think I've ever played a game with an Arab person. So that's a pretty good start. 5777. May not be the year we find world peace, and it may not be the year that we get all of our friends to join us at Midbar Kodesh, but we can all commit to making it a good start. Shana Tova. So listening to Andrew brought back so many memories of this past summer in Israel because he talked about the beer. I went to, there was a big beer festival at the Tachana HaRishon, which is the first station in uh, Jerusalem. It was the first train station. They had a big beer festival. You brought back that memory. And you also brought back the memory of an organization called Roots, which um, one of the Orthodox rabbis that I know that lives in Alon Shavut, which is a settlement, they're doing a big project called Roots, if you, anyone cares to look up about it, where they're coming together between the Israeli kids and the Arabic kids, because they came to the realization that not only do they live inches apart, literally inches apart from each other, but they can't speak the same language. One speaks Arabic, the other one speaks Hebrew, and they're making these efforts currently to bring it together. So if anyone wants to look up about that, it's an interesting organization and they're coming off the ground. I went to a couple of meetings there that they had in Alon Shavut, although that was not gonna be the purpose of this talk. The purpose of this talk was to tell you about going to school and getting educated in Jerusalem. And unlike them, and I'm sort of like one of our candidates, I don't have a piece of paper. So, talking off the top of my head. So last April, I came to the end of one of my projects. I do computer programming. And I thought, oh my god, I've been wanting to go to Israel for so long, and I had not done it. You know, I just had not gone. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go this summer. What am I going to do? So I do what every parent does who's got adult children. I called my daughter and said, okay, what should I do? I'm going to go to Israel. So she said, let me talk to one of my colleagues. She's a professor. She talked to one of her colleagues in the Judaica department, and they came back and said, why don't you take some classes over at Pardes Institute in Jerusalem? I thought, okay, this is a good idea. So I called Pardes, got online, found him, 
and they had a three-week uh, program for adults. I thought, okay, this is pretty interesting. Then I go and talk to Rabbi Tekdiel, and he says, well, wait a minute. Why didn't you talk about, why didn't you think about going to the conservative yeshiva in Jerusalem? And I go, what? I didn't even know there was a conservative yeshiva in Jerusalem. So I Googled them up, I called them, and it turned out they had three weeks prior to the Pardes three weeks. All of a sudden now my trip is six weeks. Then I thought, well, you know, if I'm in Israel, I've got to see some things. I can't just be in Jerusalem the whole time. So all of a sudden now I'm up to eight weeks. One week prior, one week after, six weeks. So I go to, um, I found a friend of mine who is also interested in learning, and if anyone knows me at all, and very few of you do, I take many, many classes all throughout Las Vegas, and I'm very interested in Judaica and things that happen. So I go and sign up for the conservative yeshiva, and I go there, <coughs> and I found a girlfriend who also likes to study. We went there together. And we're, you know, like, we really didn't know what to expect. But we got there, and the first thing that you find is that, as Andrew was saying, you had people from all over the world. We had people from Liechtenstein. There were people from Germany. There were people from Argentina. There were people from London. There were people from Canada, England, United States, Spain, France, wherever. It was very interesting. So you get together, and then you have these most amazing classes. The teachers, the teachers you will find there are very top-notch. They make you think. The, the classes are all built around Hevruta style, which I had never seen in the United States. What they do is they'll take a topic. So here are some of the topics. The Merry Wives of David. Now, what do you know about the Wives of David? In Bathsheba, in who's seducing whom? Is it Bathsheba seducing David? Is David seducing Bathsheba? What's going on here? This is kind of interesting. So what they did in their, the way the programs work, both at Pardes actually and conservative yeshiva, they took, the teachers would lecture for about a half hour to 45 minutes. They'd give you um, reading material that everyone did in, together, and then you'd come back afterwards. So they would first lecture, you would break up and you would find a partner. Everybody found a study partner that they could work with. And you go over the reading material and they would have questions. And there are questions, there are things you just never even thought about in terms of the material. And they make you look at it in a different way. And because you're working with a partner who comes from a totally different background from you, all of a sudden the ideas become bigger than you are. If you're just sitting there by yourself, you only have one idea. But with the Chavruta, you have another set of ideas. And everyone breaks and goes into the library they have source material. Everything is from the Tanakh to many, many different commentaries and brought up to the present. And some of the, besides the Merry Wives of David, there were topics like lying in the name of God. How do we know when there's false prophecy? How do we know what's true prophecy? Looking at the material, how do you figure that out? Um, they, we even had a class on the details of Shabbat. If you have a tea bag, is this cooking the tea bag or not cooking tea? What, what are the details of this? And they go into detail and, and go through it. It's nice, there are no tests. You're just learning for the sake of learning. And the people that come there from all these different backgrounds, they're all there for the exact same purpose, just to learn, just to expand their knowledge of Judaism, <laughs> your knowledge of Judaism, 
The other thing we did was we took an Ulpan course, which was a total immersion into the Hebrew language. People had, from no knowledge of Hebrew up to expert knowledge of Hebrew, everyone benefiting. Probably the hardest class I ever took in my life was the Ulpan. It's very challenging. All I can say is if you go to Israel, consider taking classes. You'll be rewarded. It's cross-generational. We had people from 17 years old. We had a woman 88 years old from Norway in the class. We had people from Sweden, Switzerland. It was totally an amazing experience. I highly encourage you to do that. You know, you go on a tour, you see this, you see that, and it gets all mixed up in your head. But you take a class, you actually learn something. The rabbi there, Rabbi Joel Levy from England, is a wonderful, warm, welcoming, open guy. It was an amazing experience. And I thank Rabbi Tecchio for telling me about it, because I would not have known about it if he had not said something. So that's my message to you, and Shana Tovah.